that was an excerpt from String Quartet Number no. 4, Undercurrents, composed by my next guest, Romano Cravici. In the world of violins, of course, there's a pecking order with the strad of various at the top. Strads are a huge status symbol for the professional violinist and some of them, of course, sell for squillions. But today we're going to discuss one of Australia's greatest violin makers who's about to hang up his tools in a lovely documentary filmmakers Carla Thakra and Romano Gravici have taken us into the life of violin maker Harry Vitiliotis at work in his home in Sydney as he makes, yes, his last violin. And I'm pleased to welcome Romano Cravici into the studio to tell us all about Harry and the art of making a violin. Romano, a former member of the SSO and the founder of the Electra String Quartet, a composer and now late in his life, a filmmaker. Welcome to LNL. Tell us a bit about Harry. How did he get into the violin trade? He explores that in the film. He came to Australia when he was about 16 and he was really gifted with his hands and he wanted to be a metal worker. So he got a job at the Everly Railway Goods Yard at the foundry. And uh, as he says in the film, he, he, he was observed having a lot of skill, but his mentor there said, Harry, you've got to get out of this. You'll end up just shoveling sand and dirt. Um, and he just found a clip in a, a magazine about A.E. Smith, who at the time was Australia's greatest violin maker. And this guy said to Harry, look, take your tools, take the... Vi-. Harry started making a violin. He said, take what you've done to him and ask for a job. Harry went there, showed the guy, showed Smith. Smith was very impressed. He got an apprenticeship and that's how he started at at the age of 17. I think we should mention that he came from Cyprus. Yes, he came from Cyprus. Um, I mean, a lot of people were jumping ship and leaving ravaged Europe, so... How did you two first meet? I have a vague recollection. Look, every string player is obsessed about getting the perfect violin, which is why people will pay $10 million or whatever. That's another story again. But um, every string player is obsessed with getting a perfect voice. And I was looking in my student days and my teacher said, look, one, you'll never afford those expensive ones for now. Go and see this guy, Harry, who's working in his little studio in Concord um, that was nearly 50 years ago when I was a student. So I went over there, met him. I could tell he was a, a bit of a, I don't know, a rat bag. I was a, a hippie back then, long hair, um, and we got on. What's happened to the hair? <laughs> <laughs> That's why I wear a hat, Philip. <laughs> okay, but you are also a bit of a... An international misfit, aren't you? Because you were, you were from the Balkans. Well, technically or spiritually, I was born in Brisbane, of all places, but I only started speaking English when I was five, when I went to primary school. So I came from a, an expatriate Balkan culture. So you're welcomed <laughs> by Harry into the home and you can watch what he's up to. Yeah, 
When I first went there, he had these two violins on his kitchen table and I played them and there's one that just stood out and I was desperate. I said, oh, can I buy this? Can I buy this? He said, no, no, that's already ordered. Someone's ordered that. You'll have to wait. So I waited, I think, about one or two years. I visited him a few times and um, one, one pattern or custom that we established early, when he made me my first violin, I wanted to be there to see him make it. So I came along various evenings when he was working on my fiddle and I'd sit on his desk, on his bench, and watch him and we'd, we'd chat. So a lot of people know that I've had about 12 of his violins over the last 48 years. I don't have 12 violins. He'd make me one, I'd play it, he'd then have a quantum leap and uh, I'd say, look, I want the next one. So I would normally sell my previous violin to a student or a fellow professional who liked it. How many instruments has he made in his life, do you know? Look, we say 800, and technically the, the violin that he made for me in this film is his 800th. But when, when he's pressed, he'll admit there's possibly 20... 30 that went under the radar that he <laughs> lost track of. I mean, he's made, this is my 800th, he's made about 10 double basses, 70 cellos, I don't know, 300 violas. He's made weird instruments as well. It has to be said, of course, that the, the sainted Stradivarius made about a 1,000 in his lifetime. Yes, that's true. Um, the interesting thing there are supposed to be about 4,000 genuine, <laughs> inverted commas, registered Stradivari. And they know he only made 1,000. I mean, he had apprentices who made them and, you know, some if they were very good, they'd possibly put his label in. But, um, yeah, Harry's pretty much got up there to where Strad got. OK, now... I want to just play a grab from your documentary. This is Haralambos Andreas Vatiliotis, or Harry. He's one of Australia's unsung heroes. He makes amazing world-class violins. To believe Romano with a piece of wood to make a beautiful violin. He's now 86, and two years ago he stopped making. I decided to ask him to make one last violin, but can he do it? Look, he had the shaking of his nerves. Old age. And I, I tell her when she came, when I met her, I was born again. And I was born again. You know, this is conversation, the film, the lives we're discussing, mm -hmm. it's a, a love story and it's a very complex one. It's a love story about music. It's a love story about the violin. It's a love story in a sense about you and this extraordinary instrument maker. But it's also a love story about Harry and Maria, who's the co-star. Tell us about the marvellous Maria. <laughs> Before I tell you about that... Um I'd been wanting to make 
a record of Harry's violin making for at least the last 20 years. I kept saying, do you have an apprentice that you can pass on this knowledge? And he didn't. Um, then I thought, oh, I'll try to record him, maybe get a cassette player, record him telling the various steps that he does and his various tricks and secrets. And uh, But then my, I realised my partner, Carla Thakra, who, though she used to be principal flute in the Australian Opera Ballet Orchestra and blah, blah, and uh, got a master's in filmmaking, produced a few films for ABC years ago, I realised there was a resource. And I tried to get her for a couple of years to make it and she said, oh, there's a lot involved in this and, you know, what can we do? Anyway, she finally, what's the word, succumbed and we went along and we started filming Harry making a violin. You know, we chose the wood, working out the model, the patterns and things like that. And as you'll see in the film, Harry sits in his little workshop and Maria sits just in the room next to him, and she's constantly making comments. So we had only one microphone in the workshop, so Harry would say something and then Maria would jump in and we'd miss that. Harry would get confused. But it was at that stage that Carla realised that the real, I don't know, centre of gravity or fulcrum of the film was Harry and Maria and this incredible love that they had for over 60 years now. Um... I remember her from 40 years ago when she was sort of quiet but she'd help him making various things and um, m making the violins, various parts of the process. Um, and she'd always be telling him, do it better. You're, you're lazy, you're lazy. <laughs> well, the reason I raised her is because I was absolutely captivated by her. She's such a character. And here's a relationship. They've been, you know, they've been together 63 years, but it's still as fresh and as funny and as vibrant as ever. Yes, that's... that. I mean, we were very lucky because knowing Harry so well, we could get right in there, in their family and, and the life there, and they were very comfortable revealing their real feelings. Let's let's go back to the value, the money value of violins. You were you were joking about how many surplus mm. Stradivarius there, there are about the place. It's like Turner paintings. There are more original yes. Turners than he could have painted in three lifetimes. It's a, it's often thus. But uh, what's the difference between say a five thousand dollar violin and a, a million dollar one? Look. <clears throat> Some people would say I'm not the right person to ask that question, being in the camp that modern instruments can be every bit as good as an old instrument. There are a lot of players who will say, oh, no, there's something special. But if I can tell you one little story, which I actually wrote this for the Strad magazine, which is a little bit like the Playboy of the string, string world. <laughs> they've got, they've got centrefolds of Stradivari in there. And well, the, the Stradivarius has a very voluptuous female shape, doesn't yes. it? As well, does yeah. the guitar, of course. Yeah. Well, as does Harry mention, do you remember that spot in the scene where he's stroking the belly and saying, oh, what do you think, the little curves and the beautiful outline? So I wrote this, this article which described, and I called it 
a lazy day in the afternoon in Sydney. Harry had just finished making a fake instrument. Every now and then he's made a fake, not to make money, but just to sort of show people that the subjectivity involved in assessing instruments. So he made this fake. I sat with him, he emptied the contents, he put oil inside, emptied the contents of a vacuum cleaner, put a fake label in, put cracks in it, did repair work that was <laughs> made it look a million dollars and very old. And he put on the sofa this violin and one of his new ones. And a well-known player and sort of dealer came in that afternoon. And as he came in, his eyes went to the instruments and he said, what's that violin there, Harry? And Harry said, oh, that's my new one. He says, no, no, the other one. He says, oh, that's a Guarnerius owned by an old duck from behind the, the ranges on one of the homesteads. And this guy sort of picked up the violin and he played it. He was making love. He was ecstatic. <laughs> and, and Harry said, look, can you play my new one against it? So he picked it up, played it half-hearted and said, look, Harry, it's not fair to compare a new instrument. <laughs> yes, your instrument's good, but this one's 300 years old, made by one of the greatest makers. It's been played in. It's a masterpiece. Harry just sat there quietly looking at the ground, trying not to start giggling. But that's been the story of his life. He's found that all the time people prejudge a new instrument. You know, I never imagined that a discussion about a violin maker would finish up being R-rated. <laughs> well, look, that's another thing about this film, um, and I know you've done film and I'm, I'm sure that every documentary maker goes through this. When you've got a subject, you've got so many different angles, threads that you can find and tease out about their personality and character. And um, when... When our community, the music community, got wind of this, we get these calls from friends and friends of his saying, oh, look, can you make sure that you keep his sort of um, irreverent, larrikin, quasi-foul-mouth aspect in? <laughs> and other people rang and said, oh, look, try to tone Harry down. Don't make him too in your face. And some people, when they heard, ab heard about the violin, said, oh, could you put a lot about violin making in there. And others said, don't put too much about violin. <laughs> Everyone had their view, so... Well, I, it's worked out pretty well. I don't know whose views have prevailed, but the film is absolutely enchanting. One of the highlights is actually watching Harriet work on, on the violin and, of course, ageing hands are struggling. Does he share any real secrets of violin making? There are a couple of spots where he says, now this is a real point. This makes a difference. But his view is that there really aren't that many secrets. Um, most people can find out the key things, but the key thing is making a lot. It's not an intellectual head exercise. It's not for nothing that Stradivariuses, the really expensive instruments are the ones made from his 40th, 50th year, and he was making probably from the age of 10. So it's that constant making that gives the experience knowing how to craft an instrument. We were doing a program the other day on the long history of wood and its fundamental importance to human and mm. everything from firewood to, to housing. 
But in this case, of course, we're talking about a very special sort of wood. Where does he source his? There are different spots. There's uh, an importer he used to get called Lambertis in Melbourne, and they would source stuff from the Bosnian mountains and I think Switzerland. I think the Bosnian wood went off market because during the Balkan Wars, a lot of the the trees, tree trunks had bullets, machine gun bullets in it, where they had their special plantations. So, but he gets it from, from Europe. There are, there's lots of very beautiful music throughout the film, all your own compositions, and you have a quartet to play for Harry and Maria after your violin is completed on, on some rather special instruments. Yes. Um, as I say in the film, Harry, practised on your quartet with your very last violin and I played his very first violin he made, the one he took to Smith's when he was 17, which happens to be the year that I was born as well, which dates me a little bit. Um, and then uh, Rob, our viola player, played on Harry's last viola and Margie played on Harry's last cello. So it's a completion of his life. What do they think of the film? <laughs> Look, a lot, a lot of people were worried, you know. I mean, there's always these stories of people commissioning a, a, a doco or a portrait and being really unhappy because they're suddenly taken aback at what they see. When we finally showed Harry the film, he cried about three times. Maria just kept giggling. She said, oh, I'm falling asleep all the time. Um, <laughs> you know, what? The, the two of them remind me of Min and Henry in the goon shows. <laughs> They're such a double act. Yes, I know. What, 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 Min? <laughs> oh, looks good to stop this. This has been a delightful encounter with you, young fella, and I've been talking to uh, Romano Cravici, composer, musician and leader of the Electra String Quartet, and the last violin will be previewing in Sydney at the Chevelle Cinema in Paddington on the 30th of November and further showings in the new year. And, beloved listeners... Let's have some beloved listening. Let's go out with a, a bit more music from the doco. This is time of piece called Letting It Go for piano and solo violin, played by Ali Osman on Harry's violin number 800.
It's easier than ever to hear your favourite local and national ABC radio stations live and on demand on the ABC Listen app.